Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. We've been saying for months that this is the most settled England team going into a World Cup. Well, we were very wrong. I'm Yaz Rana and this week I'm joined by the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Joe Harmon. Hi, Yaz. And Freddie Wilde of CrickViz and general cricket Twitter fame. Welcome, Freddie. Thanks Good to have you on for the first time. Um, we've got to start with the Alex Hale story. Um, one of the best ODI openers England have ever had. But he's probably going to end his career with just two World Cup games to his name. Um, Joe, what do you what do you make of this? Yeah, there's been a lot to unpack over the last few days. Yeah. It's one of those stories that you keep thinking you've got a hold on it and then something else comes out. And I've yeah. been trying to think back to what I first thought when it came out. And I think my initial reaction was that this was perhaps an overreaction. That was this something in hindsight we'd look back and think, did he really deserve to be um, excluded from a World Cup because of um, for a non-cricket-related misdemeanour? Um, and was this ECB trying to stamp out bad behaviour based on what had happened previously rather than taking this yeah. case? I mean, he'd um, already served his ban, right? His ban would have been over by the start of the World Cup. Exactly. So that was my initial thought. It seemed perhaps a bit too harsh. Um, but then it started to become clear that due to the ECB's own confidentiality regulations, Ed Smith, Trevor Bayliss, Owen Morgan didn't know about this when they picked their score, which is which is farcical mm. and obviously puts a whole new sheds a whole new light on it. Yeah. And then we found out that actually, and this is what's been reported and Lawrence Booth reported in the Daily Mail, so I'm inclined to believe it's, it's the truth that the rest of the team were happy with the decision for Hales to be booted out of the squad. Now, if that really is the case, then I think DCB have done the right thing, even if they've got there in a very convoluted way and it's shown their regulations to be uh, not fit for purpose. It's a weird one. So a, a brief timeline. So April 17th, England named the provisional World Cup squad. Alex Hales is in it. Three days later, he takes a break from cricket for personal reasons. April 26th is reported in The Guardian that Hales was in the midst of serving a 21-day uh, ban for testing positive for recreational drug use. April 29th, Hales is out of the squad. And uh, tomorrow, which is 
Friday, May the 3rd, Hales is available to play for Notts again. So working backwards from that, that means when England named their provisional World Cup squad, uh, Giles and Harrison at the ECB would have known of the drugs ban because they would have known. Yeah. That's quite weird, isn't it? That they would have withheld that information from the key decision makers. It is, but it seems they had their hands tied by the confidentiality yeah. uh, regulation. So that that's obviously that that needs to change. Um, I think then the main thing. I mean, it's just a very sad state of affairs, as you said at the, at the top of the show. Alex Hales will finish his World Cup career of having played two two games, and one of them was a meaningless one against Afghanistan in the last World Cup. <laughs> and I really, I th- in the final stage, that was that the. the the message from his management company yeah. describing a betrayal, uh, I thought that was really ill-judged. And I suspect, unfortunately, that any hope that Alex Howes had of playing in the World T20 next year has been dashed by those comments. I think that was really poorly thought through, and I think he's got bad advice there. Whether he feels betrayed or not is, is one thing, but to go public in that way. And it's, and what it's done is it's allowed people to say, I saw someone on Twitter, and Michael Vaughan retweeted it, obviously, <laughs> uh, saying that Alex Howes has betrayed his country. I mean... Betrayal has become a very kind of in vogue term. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we see it, but let's be honest, it's not like Hales has been revealing state secrets to, to anyone, has yeah. it? Yeah, well, I can kind of see where Hales' management were coming from because they would have had um, correspondence with the ECB when the drug ban was given to Hales and it was named in the World Cup squads afterwards. So I think it's fair to say that they did get told that, that the ban wouldn't affect the World Cup selection. And then suddenly, a few days later, it's, it looks like. Um, well, it did affect it, and the ECB changed their tune. Um, it is weird, though, that the fact that it went public has totally changed it. If Ali Martin doesn't break that story in The Guardian, Hales probably plays in the World Cup, and no one would ever know, which is really bizarre. <laughs> and in that sense, perhaps Ali Martin's done England a favour, because this could have come out at any stage, yeah. and if it comes out on the verge of an England game, rather than a few weeks ahead of the tournament, then this could have been an even bigger mess than it is at the moment. It was probably always going to come out at some point, wasn't it? It's yeah. one of those stories that you can't really keep under wraps. People do know about it at the club or, or friends yeah. of his, and then it somehow comes out, as you said, it would have been far more disruptive coming out during the campaign. Um, I think one of the, you touched on it there, one of the main things about this story really is it's really quite sad. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a fantastic cricketer. Um, we've been spoiled um, with a number of great batsmen in the last few years in one day cricket, but Hales is one of them. And I think, in fact, he's probably one of the most, England's most destructive batsmen, I think, at his best. Um, and you know he's not going to be at the World Cup, and I think um, on a personal level for him, but also for for fans, um, you know we've been talking about this World Cup sort of reconnecting England with with the wider public. Um, Hales is one of those guys. If you, you go and watch him bat, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it. Um, and he's now not going to be playing, and, and that that is sad. Do you think the fact that he's not in the starting eleven that played a part, and also his recent history, his involvement with the Bristol saga? Do you think that had something to do with it? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the, re- the repeat offender thing, I think, must have come into it. I think, you know, this is, um, it was the second time he'd been caught um, with regards to drugs. And obviously the, the Stokes incident had happened as well. And I think that must have come into it. Um, if, if it was a first time, I think you could perhaps have seen England excusing it. Um, and yeah, he, he was the reserve batsman. I think it would have been interesting to have seen what would have happened had this been a weaker England team. Mm. Um, and you know, I think Vince is being touted as the man who's going to come in. And Vince hasn't had um, much success with England yet, but he's a, a quality player and would walk into a lot of teams around the world. And I think the fact that England have such strength in depth make, makes it easier for them to make this decision. I would say. And just just quickly on that, the the, the sad aspect of this, I think Ben Stokes after the Bristol brawl, there was a concern that. 
is that how he's going to be remembered as a cricketer for the for the Bristol Brawl? And maybe maybe it will be, but he has the opportunity to change that over the next few years. For Hales, he might not have that opportunity, and despite his fantastic record, he will be remembered the bloke who was on the sidelines during this this brawl in Bristol and who had these two drug offences, and as a bit of a, a misfit, which is a real shame given. Well, in any other area, it'd be England's best one-day batsman. Yeah. I mean, he, he out of all the destructive batsmen currently in England one-day side, he was the guy who really changed things, wasn't it? He 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 scored those runs in the T20 side and t- took ages for him to get in the ODI side, which in hindsight seems ridiculous. And now, now at age 30, prime his career, he won't be at the World Cup. It's probably the last time we probably won't ever see him in England shirt again. Yeah, um, and that is a shame. I, I think purely cricketing terms, I was thinking about this earlier, Maybe this isn't such a bad thing for England in purely cricketing terms. If we're assuming that James Vince comes in for for Alex Hales, Hales hasn't batted since March when he played in a couple of Pakistan Super League yeah. games. Vince has not pulled up any trees in in uh, Championship cricket, but has been batting a lot. And obviously, in one day cricket, has had a pretty special time of it over yeah. the last last week. Can uh, I do my moment of the week now? Well, no, <laughs> just very 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 quickly on on Hales himself. Um, do you do you have? Any sympathy for him? Yeah, I do. I do. And as I was saying, my the lack of sympathy from other uh, parties, uh, I think, emphasises my own sympathy because I just I, I can't stand it when you get people on Twitter falling over themselves to to tear this bloke to shreds. Uh, sure, he's been stupid. Sure, he's he's done it more than once. And uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of regrets about how it's all played out. But the level of vitriol directed at him is is just a bit rank, to be honest. And also, I feel like we don't know the full story. We don't ha- we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know anything about his personal life, mental health. We don't know the exact circumstances of the drug use. And to take to take Vaughan just as an example, I mean, he was quick to jump on Jonathan's trots back when he left the Ashes, yeah, uh, without knowing the full story. Yeah, he's still inclined to keep doing the same thing with other players, and yeah. that, that for me is uh, is frustrating. And um, just as well, and some sympathy for for Hales, I think as well. I have some sympathy for the ECBs in this situation too. I think it's a very difficult situation for them to have dealt with. I think either way, if they decided not to ban him, um, you know, when it, when the news came out initially, there was I think a three day delay between basically him being removed from the squad and yeah. saying they weren't going to pick him. If they did continue to pick him, I think they would have attracted a lot of criticism, and f- for not picking him as well, they've also attracted criticism. I'm not saying they, they maybe could have handled it differently, but in, this is one of those situations where hell, it's difficult for Hale, it's difficult for the ECB. Whatever path you take, there are going to be people who are going to criticise you know, Hales or the ECB. And I think that it's worth sort of bearing that in mind that it's, it's, it's not a straightforward issue, is it, at all? And you can see why Bayliss and Morgan might think, well, stop putting us in, the, in this well, exactly. position. Stop Precisely. putting us in a no-win position where we're yeah. going to look bad whatever happens. Yeah. And, and It's exactly what they don't need before a World Cup, a, a situation like this and having to make a decision where, as I said, either way they're going to be criticised. It's just not, not what they needed at all. Yeah, but as you guys have both alluded to, though, from a cricketing point of view, it's not a total disaster. Joe, your moment of the week is... Thanks, Yaz. <laughs> um, my moment of the week is uh, James Vince scoring 190 from 154 balls versus Gloucestershire in the one-day cut. It's not bad. That's uh, Hampshire's highest list-day score, beating his own record. And now the top six list-day scores for Hampshire are shared between Vince and Gordon Greenwich, three, <laughs> <Wow>. three each. <laughs> which is which Two is equally nice. brilliant players. Yeah. So, <laughs> sure. so he's averaging 72 in the comp, 250s in there as well. Um, it felt like a make-or-break season, this was Vince. He's, mm. he's 28. Um, he We had an interview with Paul Farbrace in the magazine where he said Vince is his main frustration. He's such a good player. He has to be given another chance and hopefully this time we'll take it. Uh, Alistair Cook said he dreams of batting like James Vince. There's, there's enough murmurs from within that group that 
Vince was going to get another shot. It was just whether he could take it. And now, through circumstances that we wouldn't have wanted, Vince is going to have that shot, we'd think. And, well, at least being in the squad. And then with uh, Jason Roy's back spasms, there's a real chance. Well, Vince, if he's in the squad, will play, yeah. I think, some group stage games at the very least, because Roy won't play every single game, I would guess. Well, yeah, you're touching on quite a crucial point here that uh, I don't think has been touched on that much. Jason Roy's back spasms, they are quite concerning, right? So um, you were telling me earlier that he's had these back spasms for for a while, but they, he normally gets over them really quickly. Whereas he had to retire hurt a few days ago here at the Oval. Um, that's quite concerning. And with with Hales out, the guys coming in, so all, it might be Vince, but also Ben Duckett and David Milan, they're in the squad for the Island ODI tomorrow. Um, there's a real opportunity for them here. They they could be playing that opening game against South Africa at the World Cup. Yeah, and it is a is a massive concern, Jason Roy, because the way he and Bairstow set England up is is such a huge part of, mm. of what they do. I mean, I interviewed Joe Root um, a week or so ago, and he just said it just you couldn't you couldn't want a better opening pair to come in at three. He doesn't have to, even if he's ten off twenty balls, he doesn't have to worry because he knows the other guy at the other end will still be hitting and that have almost certainly got off to an electric start. Yeah, uh, That's not to say the others can't do it, but this is just an established part of the team which we just have come to accept from the England side. And it's a difficult role to, to fill, just to go in there. James Vince, if he does go in, uh, on the one hand needs to get England off to a flyer, on the other hand needs to prove himself as an England cricketer. Yeah. Roy and Bears don't have to worry about that now. They just do what they do. Roy and Bears have been really selfless, I feel, when they've been batting for England recently. They, they, are, fully, they, are, they are comfortable with losing their wicket, knowing their job is to get England off the flyer. That's easier said than done when you're trying to prove yourself in the team. Yeah, it's interesting as well because the, that's sort of been the feeling around this England team under Morgan has very much been play your own game, have the freedom to go out there and attack mm. and don't, don't worry about the consequences. Now, Vince has been in a number of squads for England over the last few years but he's not been a regular member and you sort of wonder whether um, that might have an effect on his mindset going in, in, into the World Cup you'd hope that um, I, th- I think that f- from what I've seen of Vince when he does play he plays in T20 leagues around the world and, he, and as you said he, he's been informed for Hampshire he is a very attacking free-flowing play- player and you'd hope that he would continue that um, but he's but a different kind of player the other three uh, are yeah. really explosive and they, they hit players over, hit balls over the top in the power play Vince is a more classical player yeah yeah, and, 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 and it will be you know that this will be a test of, of Morgan's captaincy you know people have been um, you know shouted him in praise over the last few years and Bayliss for creating a, an environment where England can play this kind of cricket and now they're going to have someone coming in from, from the outside relatively speaking in a, in a potentially well, in a very important role at mm. the top of the order maximise the field restrictions early on go out there Whilst you know, and also the, you know, the people are beginning to say that Vince might have a, a spot in the Test team. So there's that to sort of consider as well. Vince, this is Vince is very much playing for his career this summer, um, and he's got to go out there and, and, and play in a way that um, you know he's going to risk his wicket. And it will be very interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Vince's runs with the Royal One Day Cup. Uh, some standout performances. Uh, Liam Dawson, the forgotten Liam Dawson, hit a superb hundred. Not by you, yes. Well, not by me, and took two for thirty-nine off a of ten overs against Surrey. Um, cruelly left out of the England's World Cup squad, eh, Freddie? Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> There's I'm, a loaded I'm question. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not going to disagree. I mean, it, it, I, I do feel the, the the treatment of Dawson was interesting. Obviously, Denley has ended up as the as the fifteenth man in that squad, and Dawson went to Sri Lanka, and then I think didn't go to the West Indies, and. And you know that sort of that last spot was always up for grabs, and yeah, you can certainly make a case that Dawson has been a bit unlucky. Um, it seems that Denley is sort of um, more in favour under under Ed Smith since since Smith yeah. coming in as selector. Sorry to bang on about it, but I think it was fascinating in our conversation about the Hales thing. None of us mentioned Denley, and Denley's also in the squad as supposedly a guy who can bat at the top of the order. When realistically, I don't think any of us really see him as 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 that in this England team. 
Yeah, no, no, it was, it was, an, it, that was an interesting selection. I mean, when when England named their 15 man um, World Cup squad, a lot of obviously a lot of the attention focused mm. on Archer and his absence. But I think almost more interesting was the Denley pick, and um, I've heard some people say that he was there as the third spinner, um, as sort of uh, as a backup to to Mo and Rashid, which which is curious <laughs> I think and I, and, I, and I do think that actually I was, I was mentioning you before we started recording Yaz that I do think England over the last year maybe have missed a trick in terms of testing their bench strength um, I'd have loved someone like Matt Parkinson to, to go to Sri Lanka just even he doesn't even have to play but just in case there was an injury to Rashid he could have been a spinner who came into the squad for the World Cup and you know we were talking about Denley as that mm. and that's quite curious that Joe Denley was, is the third best spinner supposedly by that you know, in England for Yeah I've mentioned it before that England actually just haven't played that many ODR in the last eight months so they've had to use the ODIs they have played to play their full their first 11 uh, other teams have played way more and they've used it quite wisely they've like Australia and Pakistan have played so many ODIs recently and they've just played fringe players basically and they've come to a like firm opinion of them just before the World Cup although in that as well you can kind of tie yourself in knots as well can't mm. you and I think other sides don't know their best 11 coming into the tide because True. they've tinkered with it so much yeah. whereas well, yeah. England know exactly their best 11 and we talk about you know one of the strengths of Minus England Archer is their, possibly, <laughs> yeah. their stability you know, we, we know who yeah exactly we know who their best team is we know what the squad is um, and, and they've stuck with that core over the last couple of years I, I think personally they should have done a little bit more um, especially in the last 12 months to give yeah. guys you know, maybe it would have been give Vince five ODIs in a series I'm not sure at which point <laughs> give, give, give him a full series or give um, yeah, as I said take Mark, Matt Parkinson put him in a squad yeah. um, just to test that strength a little bit because what happens if Rashid breaks a finger tomorrow well, I mean, who would England pick? That, and that's why this, this Ireland ODI which may have been viewed as, a, as just as a kind of warm up by some England fans not by Ireland fans I'd, I'd add but Suddenly, it takes on greater importance. Mm. I think this is this is Vince's chance to really show that if Roy isn't fit for the first World Cup game, he's absolutely ready to step into that role. Um, or if Roy gets injured later in the series, or or someone else is injured, that he can step in and he'll have the confidence of a big score in ODI cricket behind him. Another man um, cruelly forgotten you'd say is Billy Godelman. He's he's in the form of his <laughs> life at, at Derbyshire. He hit three hundred in three games against Notts, Leicestershire and Yorkshire Derby still very much in with a shout of going through to the next round um, the Royal London One Day Cup has a really complicated format for getting into the semi-finals uh, so you've got two groups uh, visibly group. exasperated by it earlier yeah, yeah, yeah I couldn't <laughs> believe it couldn't believe it so you've got a north group and a south group each with nine teams in it so the group winners this is simple will progress straight to the semi-finals the second and third place teams in each group will then have a playoff against a team from the other group with the winner progressing to one of the semi-final matches. Notts and Hampshire are leading their respective groups at the moment. Middlesex, um, who've, ba- who've been rubbish at white ball cricket for a while now, are in with a chance of qualifying, as are Somerset and Sussex in the South group. In the North group, Worcester, Dar- uh, Durham, Lancashire and Derby all within a ch- all have a chance. Um, a couple of other highly rated young English players have been in some really good form. Sakeem Mahmood, only 22 years old, but he's been talked about for a while. He took combined figures of 11 for 51 against Northampton and Leicestershire. Um, he's, he's really good. I, I watched the, the Pfeiffer against Leicestershire and he bowls with pace, but he also bowls straight and he swings it into the to the stumps, basically. It's quite effective. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty simple uh, what he does, yeah. but nonetheless very, very skillful and potentially very useful for, for England. I mean, we're already trying to get Arch on the side. I don't know yeah. how to get Mahmood as well, but... Um, I did a piece on the state of English fast bowling uh, for Wisdom Cricket Monthly a couple of months back and spoke to Kevin Shine who reeled off a dozen young fast bowlers he was excited by but when he came to the Mahmood's name there was an extra bit of excitement behind that and he said 
he's a massive, massive prospect. Uh, and it's a strange one because he's been around for quite a long time now. I mean, what, is he 23? He's, tw- he's 22, but he's he's been around. People have been talking about him for three or four years now. He was playing now. for the Lions at 1920s. Yeah. I think he's almost played more games for the Lions than he has for, for Lancashire. He doesn't. Be, but he's only played, what, seven first last games? Yes. I mean, I d- maybe I'm sure they're, they're, they know what he's capable of and they're, they're managing him. But it would be nice to see him play a bit more first class cricket. But it's great to see him let off the leash in one day cricket. And, and doing so well I know James Anderson thinks he's a, he's a hugely exciting prospect mm. well also it's interesting you've been building up to this World Cup and England have clearly got their group of players now with Archer as well that they, they've used for the last few years and will play in this World Cup but after the World Cup um, you know the Royal London has been a tournament where there's been some really high scores in the last few years some guys like Joe Clark for example banging down laying loads of runs out it'll be interesting to see how England's ODI team evolves mm. post World Cup as well there are some really exciting players who are going to come in and that's at, you know, that's at the point where you start to refresh the team and, and we'll see some of these faces playing for England I imagine um, on young fast bowlers you you quickfish guys you've got all the data who who are the, the fast guys coming through And because a lot of these guys quite often get talked about as fast bowlers but are they actually really quick? Is there anyone who really stands out? The county cricket, the, the trouble is, of course, there isn't um, ball tracking at, okay. at most county games. So we'll occasionally get, you know, when there's a televised match, we'll get someone, um, you know, we, we, we probably have one or two matches worth of data from Mahmood, for example. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, county cricket is quite hard to sort of pick that up. Um, I remember during the, um, in the PSL, um, we had ball tracking for that, and there was... Um, and um, Mohamed Hasnain was someone who broke through and he and obviously when we get the ball tracking data you can compare him to other players and he was suddenly already sort of one of the fastest bowlers in the database that we've, and we've got a lot we've got a lot so of what, what kind of speeds was he hitting do you remember he was sort of um, miles per hour wise he was low 90s um, he was touching which and he's only, I think he's only 19 yeah. he's just um, turned yeah, 19 yeah so I mean that, that's that's serious pace for a yeah. young guy <laughs> um, but yeah no county cricket is more difficult um, it, would obviously, it would be pretty cool to have ball tracking data around the country and we could pick up you know and work out the, you know, the county guys who are quick in that same article uh, Shine said Zach Chappell for instance yeah. who left Leicester for knots over the summer he, he said he's touching 90 miles an hour and will get quicker mm. um, but another one who doesn't actually play that much county cricket I mean yeah. not a really strong side but he doesn't play that much of them no he doesn't and there's, there's I think some of that will be uh, injury management as well yeah, that true. the county grind doesn't necessarily uh, isn't most conducive to bowling quick all yeah. the time uh, and, I, and I spoke to Joffrey Archer for the same piece who said you'd be mad trying to bowl flat out in county cricket in April on a green seamer I mean, it's, first of all it's not the most effective way to take wickets second of all you won't be walking come August mm. so you've got to be a bit cannier about it and what Arch, what and you speak to batsmen around the county circuit and they say the amazing thing with Archie it'll, it'll tie up an end for five, six, seven overs and then he'll come on and go right well I'm just going to bowl a quick spell here <laughs> and suddenly it's flying through at yeah. 92, 93 miles an hour um, and county cricketers don't see that very often um, Freddie on, on the Crickviz data is there a standout fast bowl in the world just in terms of raw speed is there somebody who's Who's, who's Historic, historically um, the two guys who stand out who are we were talking about actually in the office yesterday Sean Tate and Shoa Bakhtar are so far ahead of the other bowlers that we have really? in the database that we, we're sort of at the moment we're working on something where we're trying to categorise so you know when you have um, a bowler is introduced into the attack and this is James Anson right on fast medium yeah. or on Crick Info it will say that. that that's just something that's supplied by someone saying what is it he's right on fast medium yeah. we're going to just we're using numbers to, to pit, you know basically bracket them into each category and are those two right on very and, fast well, <laughs> well, I, I was making the case that I think they should just be you know right arm express pace they are so much 
much quicker than everyone else. There is, there's like a group oh, of guys yeah. beneath them, which is you know Rabada, Stark, Stain, who are, who are quick, you know, and they can they can exceed ninety, sure. But like Tate and Actar would you know hit ninety five plus, and which Stark and Rabada almost I don't think they ever have. Um, and that yeah, that they're the two who just stand out, and it's interesting as well because they have sort of actions bred to bowl fast and nothing else really like Rabada has a beautiful bowling action yeah. he, can, he can put the ball on a spot he can move it both ways Tate and Actor just wang it down yeah. and like you almost sort of feel like you know if you, if you just have create Run, a bowling running in from to, the boundary well yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and they are just sort of in that bracket above which is yeah I think quite interesting and of the current crop is Stark the, the leading sort of international yeah Stark, Stark at the moment and Shannon Gabriel occasionally as well yeah. um, can really crank it up which is interesting as well because Shannon Gabriel moves the ball less than anyone so in terms of swing and seam it's just gun barrel straight Straight, but Gabriel is throwing it, getting it, wanging it down there yeah. extremely fast. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, another guy doing really well in the Royal London One Day Cup is Sam Hain. He's got the highest list day average of all time, fifty-eight, marginally ahead of Virat Kohli. He's still just twenty-three. Mm. Joe, you, you you like you like Hain? I do like Hain. I mean, it's, it just says a lot about the strength of England side that he's got the best list day average of all time, and he's not even close to the team. Really, yeah, we, I mean, we didn't mention him either. No, I, mean, I mean, he's got to be got to be getting closer. Yeah. I think he's, he's an interesting cricketer because he what came on the scene about five years ago. Um, born in Australia, oh, actually born in Hong Kong, but grew up in yeah. Australia. Uh, I think he scored four hundreds in his first championship season as an eighteen-year-old, which is pretty astonishing stuff, really. And then middling second season, then his form just fell off a cliff in first class cricket, third and fourth season. Mm. I think he was averaging 20. So really lucky to keep his place in the side. Very lucky to keep his place in the side. But at the same time, he's developed into this astonishing one-day batsman. So the, the guy that was coming through at Warwickshire and being talked about as the next Jonathan Trott is now the premier one-day domestic batsman in the country. Well, well Jonathan... Not that, not that Trott wasn't a good Jonathan Trott batsman, has the highest ODI average of any England batsman ever. So yeah. actually, he has fulfilled that. Yeah, that, I'd that, say the strike rates yeah. are slightly different. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, Haynes another one that you'd hope over the next three or four years we'll we'll get a chance in, in the full England team. And still only t- sorry twenty three. Yeah, still only so twenty three. Plenty of time. Oh, 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 he he had a great. He scored a great hundred the other day against Worcestershire. And watching him, he's he's not destructive. Destructive. He's got that gear that he can go up to, but he's more classical. I kind of see that if he eventually plays for England, I'm sure he'll get the chance. I almost see him as like a, as, as a long-term root replacement, the guy who bats three yeah. and can just score runs. Root's got a few years left yeah, in yeah, it, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. You, Rotation. You, you, you know, the way that one-day cricket's going, you wonder how many of those type players sort of strike rate of probably about 90 can you have in a team? Um, and, and, you know, you, England have root. And I remember last summer there were questions over Root's place in the T20 side, which is perhaps understandable. But I think in one-day cricket you can, you know, a strike rate of nine, so you can have a couple yeah. of those guys in the middle order potentially. Um, may, may, maybe if, when Morgan goes, Hayne might come in there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, England, England have got enough firepower that you think they can carry a couple of those sort of anchor players. In the top five list they averages of all time, can you, can you guess some of the other names in there? Because there are some very surprising ones. Uh, so I, oh, I know Cody. one of them. Michael one Bevan? I think so, yeah. And the two actually very surprising ones. Can I say ones. what? So, uh, Shan Masood. Yes, <laughs> Shan Masood. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Pajara. Oh, Pajara is up there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know... More than one mode skin Yeah, cat. exactly. <laughs> well, perhaps or not. Protect your average. But yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So maybe having the highest list A average uh, of all time isn't everything. Um, Freddie, what's your moment of the week? My moment of the week um, was an IPL game on Sunday between Mumbai Indians and Kolkata Knight Riders that yeah. 
I'm, I'm a big IPL fan, as as anyone uh, who follows yeah. you on Twitter. <laughs> um, but this, well, this, this game was remarkable. It felt, it felt like a, a game from the future in a way. There were f- there were four innings that in, in in a match four or five years ago would have been regarded as phenomenal. Um, Shubman Gill opened the batting for KKR and got 70-odd of 30-odd 40 balls. Um, Lynn opened with him, got a very quick 50. Uh, Russell then got 80 off 40 balls. Um, pretty but stand- of those pretty three- standard for him these yeah, days, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. None of those three were the best innings of the game because Hardik Pandya then got 90-odd off 30-odd balls. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, when you have to after that, so Kolkata ended up winning by 30-odd runs and they scored 230-odd and Mumbai fell short. Um, but, you know, after that game, you sort of turn off and think, the game has changed so much. It's unbelievable. And actually, because for the last month or so, I've been watching the IPL and there's not really been much other cricket on. Mm. Um, and then obviously the Royal London started and we started watching that as well. It's amazing when you sort of look at the contrast between T20 cricket and 50, even 50 over cricket. We've just been talking about the power game of modern players. But when you look at a, a game of IPL cricket at ground like Eden Gardens with guys like Russell and Hardick teeing off and then you watch... Um, you know, even a relatively high-scoring Royal London game. I saw Luke Wright get 160 the other day, but it just looks so different, and, it, and it's it's remarkable how the game has has changed. And, and yeah, that's that's my moment of the week, really, just because it felt like a sort of freakish outlier match, but but one that is becoming more common. And, in, in and this, cricket. I was going to say the consistency which Russell does it is astonishing, and does lead to think you compare T20 and 50 over and say they're so different. What's to stop? If Russell can do it so frequently, what's to stop him just playing the same way in 50 over cricket coming in at five? I mean, you could almost get any total. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean people were talking about um, you know, how high up the order can KKR bat Russell. Um, in, in the World Cup, he, he may well come in with 20 overs to bat. How many could he score? I mean, Chris Gale scored 175 in a T20 before. Um, you know, could Russell score 200? I mean, it, it, these things, you know, 10 years ago seemed completely outrageous, um, aren't anymore. And you're right. I mean, the, the one-day game generally, that was prob- that was probably wasn't the perfect comparison, actually, because the one-day game is becoming more like the C20 game in that sense. Um, and I think, you know, we'll, see, we'll probably see it at this year's World Cup, but the, the, the effect of, of uh, power hitting and T20 on the 50-over game. What's changed with Russell? Because he's been around for a long time. He's been a really, really good T20 player around the world, but this is the year where he seemed to have gone to another level. Why, why do you think that's the case? Yeah, he has, and and, and well, I think um, part of it comes from from practice. Essentially, I was talking to I interviewed Karen Pollard the other day about Andre Russell, and he was saying that essentially you. To, to become that consistent at hitting, you've got to do a lot of hitting. Um, and Russell has now reached the point, he's 31 years old, um, where he has, and he's been a specialised in T20 for a number of years. Hitting is his job. <laughs> um, it's what he does, and he does it exceptionally well. And I think one thing as well, from a technical standpoint that he's brought in to his game, is that he started, so Pollard is, is a good example of this. He, Pollard hits in an arc between basically long off and sort of wide mid-wicket, sometimes square leg if he's dragging it. Russell is now opening up cover point. There was a shot he played in that game on Sunday, in fact. It was a full ball from Bumrah that was basically just inside the wide line outside of stump. And Russell sort of leant back and then threw himself into it, and it was a flat six, sort of over wide extra cover. And what he's doing now is by bringing in extra cover, he's basically making any line. You can't, bo- you know, you used to be able to hide the ball outside of stump. Remember in the 2009 T20 World Cup, Broad sort of revolutionised the Yorker by going around the wicket and just pushing it wide outside of stump. You can't do that to Russell now. So you can't bowl any line, and it's basically meaning that you can't, you can't stop him. The only ball that you can stop Russell with is a Yorker. And I think we saw it in a super over earlier in the IPL. Rabada bowled an absolutely inch perfect Yorker. Um, and it bowled him, and, and, and Delhi won the game, and, and Russell couldn't do it. But that's but the thing, though. It has to be inch perfect. It has to be, exactly. The margin for 
error for him is tiny. And I think so you see how has he become so consistent. I think it's just dominance of, of all lines and all lengths bar the Yorker. Mm. Um, and yeah, just consistent practice at, at doing that. It's what he does all around the world. Is 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 the high scoring in this year's IPL, is that reflected statistically? Is this is this one of the highest scoring IPLs ever? It, 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 it is, yeah. Um, I think it's tailed off a little bit. At the beginning, um, it was very much way out um, in front as one of the fastest scoring. And it's, it's, it's come down a little bit now. But we've, we've seen a consistent rise in run rates in the IPL across the last couple of years and um, you know you only have to watch Russell Hardick Pollard and, and to see why these guys are changing the game um, in terms of um, how hard and how far and how regularly yeah. they can hit the ball and I think that that's only going to have a knock-on effect 160 used to be like a really good T20 score didn't it and now you feel like if the team gets 160 in the IPL they're stuffed yeah I mean it's extraordinary and I, I don't watch the IPL as regularly as Freddie uh, I don't think <laughs> no one does yeah. <laughs> but um, the bits I've seen of Russell are just Truly extraordinary. And you can get a little bit desensitised to sixes, I find, in, in particularly in T20 cricket. But Russell is, is taking it to another level that is uh, you can't help but be impressed by. Do you think, just quickly, do you think there's any reason why he, he can't do the same over here in English conditions in a 50-over World Cup? No, I, th- I think he can. I think that um, we're, we're, I think we're, we've seen this a couple of times with these West Indians that they've almost been pigeonholed as guys who come in in the last four overs of T20s. And now what they're doing is they're coming in earlier. Um, I think Pollard's got an 80 before from from coming in in the fourth over and I think what it shows they have a lot of game awareness and they have a lot of um, uh, there's there's more subtlety to their game than I think people make out Um, and I think that that shows that across 50 overs or in a 50 over game they could you know, be as destructive um, mm. as they are in T20. Because I, th- I, l- I thought back to, do you remember Hardik Pandya's innings in the Champions Trophy final where the game was lost and he was like, well, I'll just I'll just tee off. And I think he got 80 off about 40 balls and it was straight out of the IPL, basically. He was just playing like he would in the IPL and he only did it because the game was gone and it just made me think, if you can if you can just say to one or even two players in your lineup, you go and play like that and let's see what we get we could get some truly extraordinary scores this summer. Yeah, I mean, I guess one I suppose one thing that might hamper Russell would be a slightly softer ball, but it's only slightly isn't because there's two balls in ODI, so he's going to be 25 overs old each one. Barely so, yeah, but be- yeah, it's barely, barely different. different. Yeah, and the, the, the fielding restrictions are four, wait, four out during the, the middle 30, so, in fact, it's easier um, in, in, in ODI cricket than it is in T20. In the Bring sense on 500. Yeah. <laughs> You never know. Um, oh, one bit of action that caught my attention was Shreyas Gopal taking a hat-trick that included the wickets of Virat Kohli, A.B. de Villiers and Marcus Stoinis. That's not a bad trio to get out. Um, that was in a, the Reindorf five-over game between RCB and Rajasthan Royals. Uh, it was so entertaining watching Kohli come out. And, as you were saying, like with, with Pandya in the, in the Champions Trophy, just like, what, what would happen if these world-class players are told like, to try and hit every ball mm. for four or six? And it was amazing. Um Question for you, Freddie, on those two teams, actually. So, as, as, as an IPL, I'm not nearly as, as, as knowledgeable on the IPL as you are. So, from my point of view, I look at those two teams. RCB have got Coley, De Villiers, uh, Rajasthan Royals have Butler, Archer, Stokes. How are those two teams at the bottom? Um, I think the, the simple answer is that one or two stars don't make a T20 team. We've seen that with RCB for a number of years. Um, Rajasthan obviously get a lot of attention over here because they've... Of, Butler, Archer and Stokes as English guys. Actually, interestingly, Stokes is probably a little bit of an overrated T20 player. Um, Butler and Archer are phenomenal. Wasn't he player um, of the tournament? He was. So, so Stokes, so Stokes was, Stokes was um, bought for a huge amount of money a couple of seasons ago. He then was MVP 
um, when he played for Rising Pune Supergiant and, and he, terrible he, team name. He, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> and and he and he was he was fantastic in that year. But it was it was always going to be difficult for him to live up to that. That was very much him overperforming. Um, I think if you look at his T Twenty numbers, they aren't particularly good. Um, he's batting in the middle order at Rajasthan on, on quite a sluggish pitch, and that's a really difficult job to do in the IPL, especially as an overseas player. Um, in fact, you'll see that. That's one of the trends this season is that overseas players who bat in the middle order have really struggled because you have to face spin. It good Indian spin on difficult pitches. Um, so, so with regards to Rajasthan, they have those. They get a lot of attention for that reason. But you need to have Indian depth. Um, and in fact, before the season, we we ran our um, match impact model, which essentially assessed the quality of each team. Um, and what emerged from both those two teams was that from their Indian players weren't particularly strong. So Kohli is obviously a, a phenomenal player at RCB. Um, Shahal is, is, a, is a good wrist spinner but they haven't got much else beyond that and likewise for Rajasthan Gopal in fact has done really well this year but he was a bit of an unknown before then they've got someone like Rahane Sampson who are classical players but not brilliant T20 but RCB players. spent a lot of money on players who haven't actually played like Shivam Dubey he was a guy yeah. who got yeah, yeah, I mean, six sixes in over just yeah, before the yeah. and uh, then Hetmar obviously who, who yeah. everyone's very excited about I mean that, that's that's curious I, I can't they played two games explain each. why you do that they spent um, yeah, a, a lot of money on those two guys and then not to pick them is is, is strange mm. because you know you're blowing a lot of your purse on two guys and 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 then not playing them um but yeah i mean uh, yeah to summarize it, it's about it's about indian depth you need indian depth or indian strength i think you'll see that mumbai are probably the best example of that they build their team around a core of indian players and the overseas players supplement that um and and rajasthan and rcb this year haven't done that rcb have almost never done that it's partly because they have to spend a huge amount of money on Kohli and davilias um, they then got to spread the rest of their squad uh, around with with less money to spend on them. And then when they do um, spend money, they pick players they don't actually play. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, I mean you, you're right. There are some big names in those teams, yeah. um, but they've they've not they've not done that well. Whereas someone like Delhi, um, at top of the table, they've got uh, an Indian core at the top of the order of Darwan, Prithvi Shaw, Shreyas Iyer, and Rishabh Pant. Um, as a top four, that's extremely solid. And as I said, I was referring to the fact that it's difficult for overseas players to play spin. Um, it's generally quite difficult for overseas players to bat full stop in India because of the conditions are so different. Um, if you can build your team around an Indian core like Delhi have done, um, particularly an Indian batting core, um, and then spend your money on overseas quicks like Rabada and Morris or Lamachane as a spinner, um, that, that for me is a better template for success. Do you think that teams at the top of the table are more uh, savvy when it comes to use of data? So like this where you guys at Crickwoods come in, do you think that the data now available to T20 teams uh, has had a big impact on recruitment tactics and tactics within games? This is your marketing pitch here, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I should definitely answer and say that none of them are using it enough. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, I th well, it's, 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 it's an advantage that teams can exploit and I know that, that some teams do. Um, in fact, I know that Mumbai are a team who use it very well in match. So that's with regards to matchups, um, which has become quite a common term now. So what's that? So, so knowing who, who so does well against... Yeah, so it will be, for example, um, a really obvious example is Darcy Shaw. Um, struggles against spin but bashes pace um, so you know that if you're going to bowl to Darcy Short you, you, bowl, you bowl a spinner and there'll be certain types of spinners that he struggles more against I think off spin is the one and so Rohit Sharma at Mumbai apparently is a captain who's very reliant on, on those kind of matchups and you'll see when he makes bowling changes they are very much often supported by the numbers um, and then so that, that's, that's one level so in, ma in match analysis um, bowling certain bowls mm. to certain batsmen and then there is the sort of auction um, analysis in terms of picking up players at cheaper prices and I know that historically um, in 2008 Rajasthan were renowned for that they they, they um 
they basically signed players who not many people had heard of because they yeah. did look at the numbers and realised that they could get them for, for cheap for for less money. So yeah, you know there, there are there are inefficiencies to be exploited by by using data. Mm. Definitely, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that this year there'll be a few exhibition women matches at the going on at the same time as the IPL. Uh, obviously, that was great news for the women's game and having a women's IPL will be great. But Joe, it's a bit complicated with some of the biggest stars in women's cricket won't be there. Yeah, it's a kind of regrettable story. Really. Mm. So, um, Alyssa Healy, Elise Perry and Meg Lanning were due to be playing in the women's IPL challenge. Uh, last year, it was just one match. I think there were going to be four, four matches, matches this time. Yeah. This, this time. Then the squads came out and those three were missing and everyone was like, what, what, what's happened here? And it, it turns out they've been the victims of a, of a kind of uh, dispute between Cricket Australia and BCCI about, um, crucially, a men's ODI series in January uh, with the, each, each ball bonding it played at different times. And the Australian women have been caught in the crossfire here. Uh, there's been a bit of a kind of he said, she said about the whole scenario. But the bottom line is these three Australian players are missing out because of dispute over a men's series and have been have lost a lot of money here. And, and, yeah. and I think Dan Brettig tweeted, and he's absolutely right, if, if these were um, male cricketers who'd, who'd missed out on a big payday here, there'd be absolute hell to pay. And Cricket Australia have since apologised to the, to the players for what they've described as a communication breakdown. But reality is it's just not good enough. I mean women cricketers don't get a chance to get paid in the same way that men cricketers do, even though they're better paid in Australia than anywhere else. And yeah. these opportunities need to be kind of seized upon. And also, as an exhibition, these are three of the very best players. Alyssa Healy was outstanding at the World T20, the, the player, player yeah. of the tournament. So to have those three players missing uh, is is a real problem for that for that match as well. Mm. So all in all, no one's come out of it particularly well. And the, the feeling that the women have been used as some sort of bargaining chip uh in relation to a men's ODI series has left a pretty bad taste in that. Um, elsewhere in the world, USA have ODI status. That's exciting news. Um, the World Cricket League Division 2's just taken place there. It'd be amazing to see USA in, in the T20 World Cup next year, wouldn't it? For the growth of the game, that's one country you want to have on your side. Going up against Dolly Rayner's Germany. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be Dream great. Matchup. Yeah. Um, also, fallout from that tournament, Hong Kong, who actually came quite close to beating India late last year, are now outside of the top 20 in the world rankings. Um, really shows that how good the strength and depth is in quality at the moment. It's probably never been this good. Team outside the top 20, nowhere near the world. If there were two World Cups, Hong Kong wouldn't be in it. And they nearly beat India last year. Um, so that's, that's good. That's the end of the show, guys. Thanks so much for coming on, Freddie. That was really interesting. That's right. Thanks for having me. Joe, thanks for coming on. Cheers, guys. Listeners, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. Share it on the internet. See you next week. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.